Hey everyone, welcome back. Another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin, coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, actually from Northfield, Illinois, uh, where my law practice, Michigan Law, is located. And uh, we've got another great episode today, um, a fun concert. It's my wife's birthday. Um, tomorrow is good friend Andy Greenberg's birthday. We got a lot of birthdays floating around this time of year. We also have good buddy Lynn's birthday rolling in. So we have a whole crowd of people celebrating birthdays. And uh, yeah, February 26th, 1977, 47 years ago today at the Swing Auditorium in San Bernardino, California, the Grateful Dead came out and played quite a concert. They debuted Terrapin Station, Estimated Profit. Everyone had a great time. Uh, so the first two live versions of those, uh, and as the uh, um, guys who wrote up the report on it said that the Terrapin Station an estimated profit and the entire concert throws smoke and spits flames. Let's see if they're right. Terrapin Station. It's a Garcia and Hunter tune from the Terrapin Station album. So probably that point, right where the deadheads think they've seen it all, right? The psychedelic rock, Pigs Blues, Americana, Wake of the Flood, Mars Hotel, Blues for Allah. We got a pretty good grip on these guys and who they are and what they do. So if you had tickets for this show, you had no idea what you were in for. Where the dead were about to take you, a completely different direction, as close as the dead would ever come to a multi-part rock opera number. And there was no waiting, lights went out, and bang, turtle music. Right out of the box, Terrapin Station as the opener. That's maybe the only time they ever played it as an opener, the only time I'm aware of it. Clocking in just shy of 11 minutes. It's not quite the masterpiece it would become, but pretty amazing nonetheless. Nothing else existed at that time quite like it. But from the opening notes, you know it's a winner destined for greatness in the pantheon of great Grateful Dead tunes. One that you could hear every show, never grow tired or bored with. The title track from the album released on July 27th, 1977, five months after this show, uh, the first studio album since they had returned to touring. Terrapin Station is the ninth Grateful Dead studio album, 14th overall, counting their live stuff and their collections uh, by the Dead. It was um, their first album with Arista Records. The cover artwork was produced by Kelly Mouse Studios, who had created several previous works for the band, though a Terrapin appears in the lyrics only as a place name. Dancing Terrapins feature, feature prominently in the artwork, 
and afterward become part of the large iconography associated with the Grateful Dead. Dancing turtles are everywhere. The front cover, imi con the front cover image takes the idea of a Terrapin station literally. The back cover features a stylized one-eyed skull with a crossbone, feathers and roses in keeping with the imagery uh, that revolved around the dead at that time. The clip is famous, and uh, this clip is particularly famous and beloved, the transition from Lady with a Fan into Terrapin Station. The first two parts of the Stubborn Part Suite, which clocks in at a total of 16 minutes and 23 seconds on the album. The other five parts are Terrapin, Terrapin Transit, Add a Siding, Terrapin Flyer, and then the refrain. The Grateful Dead as a band only performed Lady with a Fan and Terrapin Station, the, the two parts of the song that all the deadheads are all familiar with. Dead and Company have played the entire suite. Um, it's fun to hear it, but you know it's not, again, really the same as if it was the full Dead with Jerry and you know uh, the whole gang playing it. it. It's too bad that they never really did it. It would have been fun, but I guess they just felt like you know for concert it was a little too much, maybe a little too extended out, because as they say on the album, the whole suite is just over 16 minutes. But if they play Terrapin in concert, uh, there were times when the just playing the first two parts of it, uh, uh, Lady with a Fan into Terrapin Station could run 15 or 20 minutes, depending on uh, the night and where it showed up in the show and how they were feeling and what else they had planned. Um, but just a great tune, one uh, beloved by deadheads everywhere, and rightfully so. You know, if you took a buddy to a show, this was a great song for them to play because... Uh, it really gave you a feeling, I think, for uh, um, what was going on with the band and what was going on uh, with the music. And, and, and But not, you know, if you took them to see a show and they played something from Anthem, off, uh, Anthem of the Sun, right? Uh, uh, you know, the really psychedelic, uh, that's it for the other one, into Dark Star, into, uh, you know, some of that other kind of stuff that they play that just gets so psychedelic and out there, that might be hard for somebody to break into. Um, this, though, is a great tune, I think. It, it, it catches the spirit of the Grateful Dead, but yet it's, you know, open enough that you don't have to be a hardcore deadhead uh, to really buy into it. Uh, although the band did, they played it 303 times. Again, this version right here from the Swing Auditorium in San Bernardino. Uh, we just played it for you, and the last was on July 8th, 95 at Soldier Field in Chicago. This is not the first time we've covered this show. Rob and I covered it uh, a couple of years back, I want to say, um, to specifically talk about the, the fact that it was the Terrapin uh, breakout and um, uh, you know, to, to really dig into it deep. Uh, we're not going to do that today, but uh, we are going to dig into the whole show, which for folks out there who may be wondering if they can get their hands on it anywhere other than archive.org or wherever you go online to get your live music. Uh, this entire show was released as Dave's Pick Volume 29. Dave's Pick Volume 29, Swing Auditorium, San Bernardino, February 26th, 1977. Um, so as we say, this is a big one. Uh, 47 years later, it still sounds just as great as it did. Uh, the Terrapin sounds as great as the first Terrapin I ever saw back in 83. Um, and uh, just great stuff. You can't get enough of it. But that's not the only tune that was played for the first time that night off the album. Uh, here's the next one they went with almost uh, immediately after.
Estimated Prophet was written in septuple time. Uh, Bobby's lyrics for the song finished with a little assistance from his writing partner, John Barlow. Examine a character's delusions of grandeur and California's propensity for false prophets. The song quotes, Ezekiel saw the wheel. Drummer Bill Kreutzman said, it's a great song, but when we were brought it to us, something was off. It needed a groove. It was in a quick uh, 410 time, but it didn't swing yet. For, uh, yet. For my homework that night, I combined two fast sevens and played halftime over it. The two sevens brought the time around to an even number. The phrasing is in two bars of seven, so technically the time signature is in, but that's getting technical. In layman's terms, estimated profits suddenly grooved. Uh, released on Terrapin Station, this was its debut performance. It was well received, uh, a fan favorite, a regular part of the band's playlist for the rest of their careers, uh, 390 times total. Again, this is the first time right here ever played. Uh, it was last played on July 28, 1995 at the Palace of Auburn Hills, and this too was released on the Terrapin Station album uh, when it came out along with the Terrapin Station song. So this show's rocking out at the Swing Auditorium, and let's talk about that a little bit. Built in 1949, the Swing Auditorium had a maximum capacity of around 10,000, but it probably sold out at only around 6,000 for this dead show. The venue's ascent into rock and roll fame began in 1962 when a man named Bob Lewis started promoting concerts there. In the ensuing decades, Lewis brought in all the legends, uh, including Jimi Hendrix, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, and of course, the Grateful Dead. But what really solidified the swing's place amongst the hallowed venues was the American debut of the Rolling Stones there in 1964. With a mere 10-song set, the Stones stoked the hall into a fervor. The band had to drop their instruments and run for the exits before the crowd, the crowd rushed the stage. For their part, the dead played the swing only four times before it was raised after a small plane crashed into the building on September 11th, 1981. So, um, you know, a, a, a famous place in dead history, not so much because of the large number of great performances there, uh, but because of the overall history of the building and this one very significant over-the-top uh, one of their better performances of the 70s uh, and maybe ever. Um, just excited about playing new tunes, getting into all the new tunes, um, really having a lot of fun with it. And, you know, this is at a time when they're still uh, very musical. They haven't really completely dipped over into the, uh, you know, heroin or cocaine uh, dark years of the later 70s and the early 80s. Um, and, you know, this is still the Grateful Dead. Really, I think it like, you know, their creativeness is just peaking here right now. Uh, at the concert after Terrapin, they played a new Minglewood blues, and in the comments, everybody describes as one of the best, 
best New Minglewoods ever. Uh, then a very good Garcia, they love each other. And then into this estimated profit, uh, there's a sugaree, a mama tried, deal playing in the band, the wheel and back playing in the band. Um, you know, and that's all just in the first set. Uh, and you know, how great is it? Uh, just songs you love to hear being played by the band in a way you love to hear them play it. And, you know, just really getting out there and doing so much with it. Um, and, you know, it would be great to be a, a deadhead at this point in time with all these great things going on and, right, so much happening all the time, so much new music being released and having a chance to see them go around the country and play it. Uh, just really, really good stuff. And speaking of good stuff and traveling around to see people uh, play music, uh, last week, uh, Thursday through Sunday, was Fish um, playing in their seventh Riviera Maya series down at the Moon Palace Cans Cancun Resort in uh, Quintana Roo um, on the uh, Gulf Coast of uh, the Gulf of Mexico. So this year uh, they played from uh, February 24th through the 27th, I think. Um, oh no, excuse me. They played from the 21st through the 24th is what they did. My bad. Um, and uh, everything was available on livefish.com. Uh, unfortunately, uh, because of the way we record this show, uh, we uh, cannot give you the playlist or let you know what they played because from where I'm sitting right now, it hasn't happened yet. Actually, the first night is unfolding right now, even as I'm sitting here taping this podcast episode. And um, But I think it's still a little bit too early. Yeah, it doesn't start for about another hour my time, so I'll be able to finish my taping of this, wrap up my work, go home and listen to Fish Live from Mexico and whoever they bring along with them. Trey's already down there. He was jamming with um, Dave Matthews uh, a, a couple of times and having a really good time with him. You know, the great thing about Trey, he just goes and plays with everybody. Everybody loves to have him come play with them. You know, he's just everybody's favorite kind of guy. Uh, talented, personable, um, you know, I'm excited to see him this coming summer at the uh, festival out in Delaware. But uh, for us, that's still quite a ways away. But for the folks who made the trip down to Mexico, it's all happening. And uh, when you guys are listening to it on Monday, this show on Monday, hopefully uh, you've had an opportunity to find out what Fish did uh, over this past weekend uh, that I'm sure set everybody's ears on fire and had them boogieing up a storm. Fortunately, we just don't know about it right now. Um, but that's okay because what we do know is that 47 years ago today, the Grateful Dead were kicking ass out in California. And uh, I just mentioned this song in the uh, countdown of what they played towards the end of the set. But uh, listen to this. What, what we're going to do for you here is play you. They closed the set with a uh, playing into the band, playing in the band into the wheel, back into playing in the band. And this captures part of that transition from the wheel back into playing in the band and then all of a sudden they came out jamming on playing excuse me on the wheel <laughs> sorry
Sorry, I totally bundled that as we were going into the song. This was playing in the band transition into the wheel. So obviously that's why we wound up with them singing the wheel. And then they did transition out of that back into playing in the band. And both transitions are great. Um, I was just sitting here looking at the set list as I was talking and got it confused. Um, the song The Wheel was released back on January 20th, 1972. It's the final track on side two of Jerry's first solo album, Garcia. Uh, it's a psychedelic number. It exhibits Garcia's short-lived infatuation with the pedal steel guitar. It was always a great song to hear in concert, uh, although relatively short in length. Um, sometimes they could jam it out a little bit more, uh, but the lyrics only went so far and so long, and um, you know, we, we just loved it whenever we could get it. Uh, it was almost always a second set song, uh, very high energy, and was always a fun way for the band uh, to transition out of space. Uh, to complete the second set and uh, play out the rest of the concert. Um, it was always you know, fun to when we would see them in Hampton, Virginia, and they'd play the wheel. Uh, you'd come out after the show, and the way the Hampton Coliseum is set up, uh, it has lights on the top. It's a circle building, and the lights would all be shining up into the sky. So if it was a cloudy night, they would make uh, an impression of a wheel. And we all came out one night after they had played the wheel, and there was a wheel, and everybody was like, whoa, man, look at that wheel. Jerry did it. And it's like, yeah, great, where can I get a grilled cheese? Um, but it's, uh, Fish Heads, Dad Heads, everybody loves Hampton Coliseum. It's just a great place to see a show. Um, and we can always talk about that more sometime. But right now we're talking about this one and the song that we all played 259 times. First played on uh, July 3rd. Uh, 1976 at the Paramount Theater in Portland, Oregon. And it was last played on May 25th, 1995 at Memorial Stadium in Seattle. So uh, right up until the end, basically, uh, you know, Jerry would play it. And why not? Great tune, always fun to hear. Um, and uh, really something that the Deadheads enjoyed hearing all the time. Um, now for the next number, we're gonna, I'm, we're gonna, the next clip, we're gonna feature a song um, that just doesn't get played a lot. I, excuse me, gets played a lot, but just doesn't get a lot of uh, recognition, doesn't get a lot of people focused on it because it's a bridge song. Um, and we're talking about Slipknot and it basically bridges uh, Help on the Way into Franklin's Tower. And everybody loves Help on the Way because it's a Garcia tune, it's really good. Um, and we're all excited because it's the beginning of the three song suite. Um, everybody loves Franklin's Tower because it's such an awesome tune. Uh, everybody can sing along to it. Everybody can rock out to it. It stretches way out. Um, and Slipknot kind of gets lost in the middle, right? Where you're not quite sure if they're done with Help on the Way. and You're not quite sure if they haven't already started uh, the lead into Franklin's Tower. But you know it's in there somewhere all mixed up with it. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's its own number and it's very distinctive. And, uh, you know, I would say it's, a, it's not unlike um, I Am Hydrogen on a uh, Mike song, uh, on a Mike's Groove Mike song in uh, I Am Hydrogen into Weekapaw Groove. But let's go ahead and listen to a little bit of Slipknot here for a minute.
So that said, Slipknot was released as part of the the, the three song suite. Uh, opens up the uh, album Blues for Allah from 1975. Plays a key role in that suite. As we said, it's often overlooked, but it is that important bridge between Help and Franklin's and the Help Slip Frank trio of songs. Uh, it's always there. It's always a great piece for improvisational music that rarely gets, or excuse me, that rarely rarely sounds exactly the same except for the very distinctive intro and outro part of it. Intro coming out of uh, Help on the Way and the outro leading on in to Franklin's Tower. Um, like we said, it's not uh, dissimilar to I Am Hydrogen in Fish's Mike Groove, Mike's Groove run of songs um, that I, I think that you know people eventually hear it enough that they just really appreciate it for what it is. Uh, it's got great percussion in it. Uh, it's got great jamming by Garcia and Weir. It's got Phil lurking in the background. Uh, the drummer's kind of keeping the beat for the whole thing and just moving it along. Um, and I, I, I love it, and I think it's important to, uh, you know, to feature it whenever we can. Uh, the Dead wound up playing it a total of 114 times, and here's the interesting part. They played Help on the Way 111 times, so that means <laughs> Slipknot got played three times more than Help on the Way, and Franklin's Tower was played 222 times. Now, that's not such a strange number because we know that there were years where they were not playing the full three-song suite, but they were playing Franklin's uh, as an op opener with um, Feels Like a Stranger Franklin's or Mississippi Half-Step Franklin's or uh, uh, all sorts of others where it was getting a lot of playing time uh, at the beginning of shows uh, and being played by itself. And then on a couple of different occasions, the Dead, the dead uh, found themselves hearkening back to the full uh, three-song suite. Um, and uh, I, I think it was always a fan favorite to have it that way, the three songs, because as I say, you know, each one of them are so good. When we saw the 2020, excuse me, the 2002 Terrapin Family Band Reunion uh, at Alpine Valley, which was the first quote-unquote official uh, reunion of everybody, except uh, I, I want to say Bill Kreutzman wasn't with them. Phil was there, um, Bobby was there, Mickey was there. And then they had, you know, some of the other regular fill-ins on stage with everything. I want to say maybe Mark Krasno sat in with them. And so at that Terrapin family reunion, it, it was two 90-minute sets. Uh, it was fantastic. Uh, we were all so excited to be there hearing Live Dead. It was with a whole uh, group of the Ann Arbor gang. We were down inside the, the bowl of the seats at Alpine Valley, uh, pretty much center stage, great view of everything. Uh first time I ever saw anybody in the Grateful Dead play Casey Jones live because I never caught it with Garcia that was the uh, end of the first set but after two 90 minute sets and everybody was just exhausted because it was the end of a long day of music that started at 12 noon with Phil Lesh and friends and then some other bands and then finally um, uh, with with these guys taking the taking the stage and I forgot I don't know if they were calling themselves the other ones then or just it was still the Terrapin family reunion or uh, whatever it was, but been an hour, uh, three hours of live music plus the intermission after a full day outside in the hot sun and uh, everybody was beat. And we're like, oh, they're going to play an encore? And the encore was Help on the Way, Slipknot Franklin's Tower. And as they walked out and hit the opening notes of Help on the Way, we all looked at each other and we're like, on the one hand, not on the one hand, on the only hand, wow, this is amazing. After all of that, we're about to get another 20 plus minutes of music and maybe more depending on how long they jam it out. On the other hand, man, I'm not going to lie, my legs were screaming at that point. 
Um, you know, it's a good thing that uh, some of the provisions we brought along were designed to help alleviate that kind of stuff. But um, uh, it was just a great, great night, and uh, it was one of the best help slip franks I ever heard without Jerry. <laughs> but yeah, just a, a, a great tune, and always good to hear Slipknot, and always fun that it gets played. But they they did play it for the first time on October twentieth, ninety four or seventy four at, at Winterland, and then the last one on June twenty second, ninety five, at the Knickerbocker Arena. Um, in Albany, New York. Um, great tune. So now what we're going to do is we are going to shift our attention for a minute, or a few minutes actually, because I'm going to be doing some talking here. And uh, we're going we're gonna to touch on the cannabis side of the show. Uh, once again, crack producer Dan Humiston has a perfectly themed song lined up for us. For those of you like my good buddy Alex out there and probably Rob Hunt who know that that's Commander Cody and the Lost Planet Airmen, that's why we love you. For the rest of you, that was Commander Cody and the Lost Planet Airmen, the Down Do Seeds and Stems Again Blues tune from the band's album Lost in the Ozone, released in November of 1971. Life really can't get much worse for the subject of this song by uh, Commander Cody and the, uh, the airmen. The man in question bemoans being broken alone after his girlfriend leaves him for another man and his dog dies. To make matters worse, his weed stash is down to just useless seeds and stems so he can't even get stoned. Now, I, I have to tell you, I, I, I know that feeling. Um, when I first started going to law school down at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri, not exactly... Um, unless you were part of the in crowd, which when I first got there, I was not uh, not necessarily the place you would uh, go to be looking for marijuana, although there's a much longer story that belies that sentiment that we're not going to talk about today, but we will some other time because the dead loved buying marijuana, Missouri skunkweed in Columbia, Missouri. Um, but uh, uh, we were in law school, and you know, we didn't have such regular sources for marijuana, and one night... We were hurting, man. We were down. We'd been studying all night. We just needed to get stoned. And I remember looking around, you know, in my car, and my apartment, anywhere where I might have stashed anything. And I finally found a tray uh, tucked away somewhere that had a bunch of seeds and stems and crap on there that had fallen there when we had been cleaning marijuana earlier. And we just never got rid of it for some reason. And so now became the tricky part. You know, we convinced ourselves that there was THC on the seeds and the stems. But what was going to be the best way to, you know, to do it? So we, we wound up, we didn't have a grinder or anything, so we couldn't, like, totally smash it up. We wound up just with our fingers and with uh, 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 the bottom of a coffee mug, just smashing it up as best we could, shoved it all in a pipe, tried to smoke it, and convinced ourselves that we were getting really high. But I don't think we were. We just were desperate to think we were at that point, uh, you know, when you're in the middle of finals in law school. It can get a little edgy sometimes. Um, but nevertheless, seeds and stems again, blues. Yeah, we all know that feeling, and it's it's certainly no fun. Uh, Commander Cody and his lost player and an airman formed in 1967 in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Go blue. United States with Frayne taking the stage name Commander Cody. 
The band's name was inspired by 1950s film serials featuring the, the character Commando Cody and from a feature version of an earlier serial, King of the Rocket Men, released under the title Lost Planet Airmen. Thank you, Dan, for that once again. Always good stuff. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've had some, what I would say, relatively good news about what's going on uh, in the world of marijuana and cannabis, meaning, you know, programs moving forward, states making money, uh, cannabis business people in those states making money, and uh, the promise that we're, we're slowly but surely getting to that point where the, 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 the tide will completely turn once and for all, and we will enter a new stage where we just don't have to worry about marijuana anymore. Uh, it would be great if that could happen with the government taking it off Schedule 1. Uh, we've already talked about why putting it down to Schedule 3 won't do it much good, but it might do it some good if we take a look at what's going on in some other states out there, right? Because while we all talk praise all the time, obviously some of these states have problems that we've talked about, but generally speaking from a marijuana connoisseur's perspective, somebody who wants to be able to go and travel around the United States and go into different states and sample their products and see where they're different and see what's better and all of that, right? And you can go into California, the entire Western, the entire uh, Pacific uh, seaboard, right? Washington has legal marijuana. Oregon has legal marijuana. California has legal marijuana. Arizona has legal marijuana. New Mexico has legal marijuana. I mean, that whole strip of stuff that, you know, as you come moving uh, eastward then, Nevada has legal marijuana. Colorado has legal marijuana. Arizona has legal marijuana. Well, we talked about that. But, you know, boom, boom, boom. And you're like, wow, this is great. I can get high anywhere. No, you can't. Montana, by the way, has legal marijuana. You can't because we got good old Idaho sitting out there. And we've known that Idaho's been a pain in the ass when it comes to cannabis for a long, long time. They're the ones who are pulling over trucks filled with CBD oil, the tankers. And even though the CBD people, the, the truckers have um, manifests that have where they picked it up, where they're taking it, test results showing that it's under 0.3% THC, copies of all of the relevant federal statutes that demonstrate that it's legal and that no state may interfere with its interstate uh, transportation of this product. Uh, somehow the Idaho uh, state police and uh, law enforcement people have no problem arresting the driver, confiscating the truck, and when you call them up to point it out to them, you get the general response of, why don't you just come on out here to Idaho, and you can tell that to an Idaho judge, and we'll see what the Idaho judge says. And, you know, look, again, everybody's entitled to their opinions, you know, and I know that there's certain law enforcement people in the world who still like to act like they're tough on drugs, and they go around beating their chest, and if you're dealing with drugs, boy, that's life, right? Like, you know, the Doonesbury comic strip from 1970 or 71, where Zonker and Mark are driving out west, and they get pulled over for speeding, and they go all the way through Zonker's bags, and in the bottom of his suitcase, he has three marijuana seeds. They're like, oh, a marijuana seed, the guy's a user. Two, three marijuana seeds, he's a dealer. You know, that's 40 years, ain't it? <laughs> like, yes, of course it is, because you backwater people. What the hell is wrong with you, right? So let's take a look at this for a minute, because it's, that, that's not just enough. In, in, in Idaho. It's not just enough to outlaw cannabis. They have to be condescending pricks about it too. What do I mean? Anyone convicted of possessing less than three ounces of marijuana in Idaho would receive a mandatory minimum fine of $420. $420. Get it, everyone? A, man, a minimum mandatory fine of 420 If a new bill introduced in the Idaho legislature becomes law, 
House Bill 606 is Representative Bruce Scogg's second attempt to pass a bill creating a mandatory minimum fine for possession of less than three ounces of marijuana. Uh, on Tuesday, uh, Scug, who is a Republican, told members of the House State Affairs Committee that House Bill 606 replaces House Bill 559 and makes a technical correction. The difference is the newest bill adds language that basically says any other penalty specified in state law can also still be applied in addition to the 420. So now they're just really rubbing it in your face, right? They're going to say, we're going to still pretend like it's illegal. We're going to bust you. We're going to enforce state law against you. And on top of that, on top of whatever else the state law says, we're going to charge you 420 because we're kind of sending pricks and that's what we're going to do. And we think it's funny. Okay. So, you know, if passed into law, it would amend the existing penalties in Idaho law for manufacturing, delivery, or possession of controlled substances. It already specifies that anyone possessing more than three ounces of marijuana can be punished with a prison sentence of up to five years, a fine of up to $10,000 or both. And the new bill just adds the additional $420. State law describes marijuana as all parts of the plant of the genus cannabis, including the extract or any preparation of cannabis which contains THC. Um, $420 fine is a known reference for slang, uh, to slang for getting high on marijuana. During, during Tuesday's short introductory hearing, Skog also dropped several marijuana-related puns when he told committee he smoked out the problem in his last bill and ran the changes by his assistant, Mary Jane. This guy is priceless, right? He's, he's, he's one of these guys who thinks he's funny, who thinks he's clever, and, you know, really just demonstrating, you know, what an oversized prick he is. And forgive me for using dangerous language on the air here sometimes, kids. But you know what? Enough. The fact that you're even going through all of this and you're saying it's going to be illegal and we're going to do this and we're going to punish you and we think we're so funny and cute. Stop it. Stop it. You don't have to make it legal. It's your state. You can do whatever the hell you want. But other than Wyoming, I was... Idaho's neighboring states have legalized medical or recreational marijuana. Utah allows for possession and use of medical marijuana for qualified patients. Washington, Oregon, Montana, and Nevada all allow recreational marijuana. So today's hearing was only an introductory hearing, which does not include public testimony. Introducing House Bill 606 clears the way for the bill to return to the House State Affairs Committee for a full public hearing. During Tuesday's meeting, House State Affairs Committee Chairman Brent Crane, a Republican, uh, told legislators in an effort to move the 2024 legislat legislative session along, legislators will likely need permission from Republican House leaders to introduce any new bills. The Idaho legislature's so-called non-privileged committees already facing a February 12th deadline to introduce new bills. Cutting off introduction of new bills helps move the session along and generally results in the bulk of the workload shifting from legislative committees to the floor of the Idaho House of Representatives and Idaho Senate, where bills are debated and voted upon. What they're saying is, we don't really care about this. We're just going to go let it die a quiet death somewhere so we don't have to keep being reminded what condescending pricks we are. But that's just Idaho, right? And they are who they are. Oh, but no, not just Idaho being Idaho. Because then we got Kansas, you know, and Kansas is one of these difficult states because it does have your reputation of really, really being, you know, just back ass backwards. You know, it's like 1940s America. Um, and it's just it's it, it's so conservative and so backwards in those respects and so pushing away. It's, it's not even like modern thought anymore. It's not even like, you know, ooh, edgy out there for people to be talking about things like marijuana. I mean, you know, even if we just start talking about marijuana from, you know, the revolution of the 1960s, we're 60 years old already. Give it up. 
This is here. It's been going on forever. You know, and a lot of these people who are now the voters of Kansas went to University of Kansas, went to the University of Missouri, went to all of these schools. Maybe they didn't smoke marijuana. Maybe they ignored it back then too. I don't know. But really, during a bait of a drug bill before the Kansas House of Representatives last week, a Democratic lawmaker introduced an amendment that would remove marijuana entirely from the state's controlled substances law, effectively legalizing it. The proposal ultimately failed on a 41 to 80 vote, a result that comes as more limited legislation to legalize medical cannabis also faces resistance from legislative leaders. Representative Silas Miller, Democrat, who introduced the broad legalization amendment, described the measure to colleagues as the first step towards having a better discussion about legalization, which the Senate has refused to consider in recent years, despite evidence of strong support among voters. How strong? Well, a Kansas City poll from last fall found that 67% of Kansas citizens, including a majority of Republicans, support legalizing cannabis for all adults 21 and older. 67%, right? Now, don't get confused. Silas Miller introduced a good bill. We like it. It's what happened to his bill, and we're going to talk about that now. So, uh, the amendment, uh, he says it roofs from the schedule altogether, and it did not include changes to legalized commercial sales uh, with respect uh, to the marijuana market or you know, what they would or wouldn't do with that. The House lawmakers previously passed a medical cannabis bill in 2021 but failed to get traction in the Senate. Some lawmakers said Wednesday it's time to put pressure on the Senate. The time has come once again for the Kansas House of Representatives to send a bill to the Senate and let them explain to their constituents who supported by over 67% why they won't act, act on it. Let them explain to their constituents why they ignore their voters and the popular opinion and the instructions from their constituents. Be they vets who are suffering from injury, old people who find relief, people who are taking chemotherapy, or people who quite frankly like to drink and occasionally like to smoke a little weed as well, he said. It's time for us once again to do what our constituents want us to do and let the Senate suffer the consequences for its inaction. And then we get to Representative Bill Clifford, a Republican. The sponsor of the underlying drug bill said the proposal was an unfriendly amendment and urged colleagues to vote against it. Here's what he said. Legalization of marijuana is a very serious issue that's being considered in many states. As you know, marijuana is still a Schedule One drug at the federal level, considered to have no medical value and high abuse potential, we said. If we're going to have that debate, you need to vet that issue properly through the committee process, have a hearing, putting it across this floor, and send it to the senator. similar action. Yeah, Bob, that's a bill, that's right. But how about if you lay off the bullshit and the, the nonsense, still schedule one? At a minimum, we know it's going to schedule three, so you're already behind the eight ball on that. And if they're smart, they're going to take it off the schedules altogether. No medical value? high abuse potential? Do you not listen to my podcast, Bill? Apparently you don't. And we may have to send you a copy of this podcast so you can start listening to it because as a state legislator, you're expected to understand what the hell you're talking about. So how can you say that you need to vet the issue properly through committee process, have hearings on the floor when you don't even know what you're talking about? And not, do you not only know what you're talking about, you're pushing nonsense. You're pushing reefer madness, right? Supporters of the bill are questioning whether the legislative leadership will even ever actually let it happen. In the opposite chamber, Senate President Ty Masterson, a Republican who said, who was one of the key lawmakers last year to oppose medical marijuana, said late last year he's open to discussion about limited medical marijuana program. I'm open. Op, I'm actually open to true medical marijuana or to palliative care. He said at the time. 
I'm open to that. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying we don't have any real studies on dosing and distribution. Well, you don't if you live with your head up your ass. And so I'm going to tell you, Ty, if that's where you're at, then you don't know because there's studies about it all the time. I find them for my podcast every week, have no trouble doing it. It's called having a computer and knowing how to use Google. They're out there if you want to find them. If you don't want to find them, then that's great. Then just say, I'm not interested in the truth. Don't pretend like you're going to sit there and tell us about what it's all. Well, I'm, I'm up for true medical treatment. What is true medical treatment, Ty? How would you define that? Do you even know what it means in the context of marijuana? Or are you just talking platitudes because you have no interest in this whatsoever, but you're giving us politics speak because you know, you're know you also a prick and you just don't know how to be able to address this issue with people intelligently. 67% of your constituents support it and you're giving everyone a lecture about it being on schedule one or about saying that we have to really sit down and look at it and decide what we're gonna do because then a month later, uh, Ty came back and said he's less open to the idea of calling, calling medical, me, medical legalization a non-starter and suggesting the policy change would, you know where I'm going with this, could lead to a surge in gang activity and put kids at risk. Well, has that happened in Colorado, Ty? No, has not. What about California? Nope, no evidence, evidence of it there. Oregon, Washington? Nope, nope, nope. Arizona, New Mexico? They're not seeing it, buddy. They're just not seeing it there. Montana? Nope. Mm-mm. Missouri? Nope. They're expanding. Illinois is expanding. Uh, Minnesota's going full boat with everything now. Um, the East Coast, Pennsylvania has a program. Delaware has a program. Rhode Island has a program. Massachusetts has a Florida has a, all of these states, Ty, have medical programs. And you know what's really funny? Not one of them, not one of them are reporting a surge in gang activity and putting kids at risk. What they're reporting is there is no gang activity or greatly diminished because the gangs aren't the only ones selling marijuana anymore. Now you can go into a legal store and buy it legally and know it's safe and doesn't have fentanyl on it. It doesn't have anything else like that that gangs put in the marijuana so they can make more money. So you don't know what you're talking about when you say this. You're lying to your constituents and you're demonstrating to everyone else that you're an idiot. You're an elected legislator, for God's sakes. Know the topic you're talking about before you get up and start flapping your lips about it. It's just not okay. Oh, he says, I think when people see, when they think of medical, they're thinking of, you know, palliative care and things like that. No, I don't think that's what they're thinking. I think that's what you're thinking. And I think if you took the time to do it, that, and, but then this, this, this tops the cake. Because Ty says he helped kill the House, uh, the, the House passed medical bill in 21, has downplayed popular support for broader adult use cannabis legislation suggesting voters don't understand the policy change. Here's his quote, listen to this. If you look at that question, I think most people would answer yes, but they don't know exactly what they're actually saying yes to, the president said. You know, I don't think you could get any more condescending than that. I think Ty has no idea what he's talking about. And so he turns around and he projects it on his voters who know exactly what they want, are being very clear about it. 67% is a political equivalent of people swinging a sledgehammer and saying, hell yes, let's do it. But nope, Ty's convinced 
that none of these people know what they're talking about. None of these people understand. None of these people understand that if laws like this pass, we don't have to worry about a disproportionate number of black people, however many of them there are in the state of Kansas, you know, being overly prosecuted and overly arrested, which is what happened when marijuana was illegal and when the police and, and law enforcement would use it as an excuse uh, to harass various minority groups and, and people, groups with whom they disagreed or they wanted to be able to, to break them up and stuff like that. Ruins lives, ruins people's careers. And people are saying, we don't want that. People who want to smoke marijuana should be allowed to smoke marijuana. It's not complicated, Ty. That's what they're saying. And you know what? I think every one of them do understand that. And just because you're hooked on palliative care for some reason, maybe one of your family members, I hope not, but who the hell knows? But by the way, yeah, it would be good for palliative care in addition to all of this other stuff. That's just one small piece of the puzzle, Ty. And you really need to get with it because, again, all the states around you do it. You know, you guys too, Idaho, all the states around you do it. So, oh, we don't want our kids. Your kids are getting high anyway. What's your next question? All the people that are driving across the state line and simply buying it somewhere else and then bringing it back. And guess what? You get nothing. You get no taxes, you get nothing. You wind up spending lots and lots and lots of taxpayer money to play police and state troopers to go out there trying to find these people and arresting them for stupidly small amounts of marijuana, but just to show and prove to people how tough you are, how law and order you are there in Idaho and in Kansas. Boy, we're America here, man. Nobody's gonna come into our state and do this stuff. George Washington grew hemp, boys. Go suck on that for a few minutes. So, you know, the bottom line here, folks, is that we're still seeing this. We're still seeing Republican busybodies. And I hate to say it, but it's true. You know, we're not seeing Democrats supporting these kind of bills. We're seeing Democrats say, let's move all of this forward. The legislators in these two states we talked about who are sponsoring the marijuana bills are Democrats. We have Republicans living in the Stone Age. These are the same people who say, oh, no, vaccinations don't work any kind of vaccination. Now, mumps, measles, nah, it's okay. We don't care if measles comes back. It was never a very serious disease anyway. I mean, people talk talk like they're from the Stone Age. People talk like they weren't educated, like they didn't go to school and they didn't learn. And I'm not going to get into a big cultural war thing here because that's too upsetting and too aggravating for any of us who just believe in letting people live life and have fun and not worrying about what everybody else out there is doing. Maybe you're missing out, so we're going to say they can't do it. Then you don't have to worry about missing out anymore. Guess what, gang? Not the way the world works. And we know that because people have been smoking marijuana for 5,000 years. It's a long time. And if you think that you guys are going to pop up here in the state of Idaho or the state of Kansas in 2024 and change anything, then you're the ones who have really been smoking marijuana. And then you're lying to your people because you're enjoying it and you're just not letting them get the benefits of it too, right? I mean, that's all this can possibly boil down to. Don't call it Schedule 1. Don't say it has no medical value. Don't talk about its addictive properties. None of that is true. You know it. My 21-year-old son knows it, damn it. Stop embarrassing yourselves and everybody else out here and let your constituents get the benefit of legislators who take their jobs seriously, who listen to what their voters tell them they want, who take the time to go out and learn about it and don't, just don't spout off nonsense that's either based on political party ideology or strict religious ideology or just, uh, you know, we're, we're prohibitionists and, you know, anything that, but then the question right becomes, but y'all let people drink. 
Y'all let people drink in your states, but you won't let them smoke marijuana. You know, and all the studies we look at and everything we cite, you know, to me, that's like negligent. You're a negligent legislator if you say people in my state can smoke alcohol, but they can't smoke marijuana, even for medical purposes. You're negligent. You're negligent as a human being. The amount of evidence that's out there now is so overwhelming that there's just no excuse to play this game anymore unless you're just, I, don't, I can't even think of the right word for it. It, it. it would be a word probably that I even wouldn't even want to say and that you know my wife would get mad at me for saying and it's her birthday so we're not going to go there. Um, but what we are going to say is enough, you know, you red backwoods states who just don't care about what's going on in the world and, and want to pretend like you live in this little slice of time in America that just doesn't exist anymore. And you can scream and yell all you want and bang on your pots and pans or whatever the hell you're banging on, and it's not going to change it. Marijuana is not going anywhere. Do you want to be part of the group or do you want to be on the outside looking in? ostracizing the people in your state, missing out on huge amounts of money. And I know you're the same states that won't take the federal funds either because you've decided that the federal government has a, a finance problem and it would be improper for you to take that money as you know people die in your states and all of that. I get it. I get it. I get it. You've established yourself and then some. Um, but this is just stupid. It, it's stupid from a business point of view. It's stupid from a tourism point of view. It's stupid from a basic human decency, fundamental fairness um, point of view and you know people are going to keep making fun of you until you pull your heads out of your ass and understand what's going on and say that you know while we choose personally not to uh, consume marijuana great you could say we personally choose not to drink alcohol that's great you could say we personally choose not to do any of that but don't say that I can't do it don't say that other people in your state can't do it People in your state don't want you to say that. Who are you talking to? Who do you think you're impressing when you do that? The very small religious minority that's probably the biggest group that gets you into the primaries and through to this, the general election? Then admit that you're not really representing the people of your state. You're representing a very, very small group of people whose views are so opposite of what the majority of citizens in the United States today think about marijuana. We'll just stick to that issue for right now because that's what this show is about, that it's embarrassing. And I hate to have to keep talking about it, and I have to, have to keep getting up on a soapbox about it, and I hate to keep having to use words that I don't want my new granddaughter to hear me using. But folks, seriously, Kansas and Idaho, if you're out there and if you're listening to my show or if somebody's there and wants to send it on to these guys, and you guys want to call up, we can get on the show and we can debate this right through. You can tell me everything you want, I'll tell you everything I want, and at the end we'll see which one sounds like plausibility and which what sounds like childhood nonsense or over you know adult nonsense or whatever kind of nonsense you want to call it because you just can't play that game right we know that it saves lives we know that it makes people feel better we know that it helps people get off of hard drugs we know we know we know we know every week on this show we talk about more studies that establish all of it teenage smoking goes down insurance premiums for health insurance goes down all of these positives happen you don't see a spike in dangerous driving you see a decrease because although we do not advocate anyone driving whether they're high or drunk if someone d drives they are a safer driver when they are high as opposed to when they're drunk if marijuana is legal and people consume go out on a saturday night and smoke a joint instead of drinking a beer even though we don't want them to get back in a car if they do they are safer on the roads driving next to me and you and our children and our friends and our parents and our loved ones. 
Why do we play this game and pretend like it's not so? And why do political leaders feel so comfortable standing up on a soapbox and just blatantly lying to people, either lying or displaying a level of ignorance that should automatically disqualify you from holding public office of any kind? Because when you're up there making decisions for the people of your state, 67% of whom favor legal, not medical, legalized adult use marijuana, and you sit there and give us platitudes about how they don't know what they're talking about or what they're supporting, you're the problem, not them. So let's consider that, folks. This is just, you know, someplace we don't want to be. And, you know, these states will either get with the program or they won't. Uh, you know, truck drivers now drive around Idaho when they're trying to transport uh, CBD oil. Is it a pain in the ass and cost more? It does. Does Idaho miss out on all the money spent at gas stations and at diners and at motels and all that stuff? They do. Will it be enough to get them to change their policies? Probably not. Just, that's just the way they are out there. So, you know, we just have to shrug our shoulders and say some people are always going to be the party poopers, you know, put whatever nonsense it is they're putting ahead of basic human decency and the right for people to just relax and have fun you know in whatever way they want as long as they're not hurting other people um but that's my soapbox for the day yes yes i know we've got to get back and finish this up we're going back to 47 years ago today swing auditorium san bernardino great tune here it is Yep, Eyes of the World. I think it's many a Deadhead's secret favorite tune. Not that they're embarrassed that it's their favorite tune, but they'll tell you something else. But if you really push them and they're really listening to music, when they hear this, they may say, you know what? I really love Eyes of the World better than anything. And, and why wouldn't you? It's just a great drawn-out tune. Jerry jamming his heart out the band right there with them, released on Wake of the Flood back on October 15th, 1973. A uh, real centerpiece of that album. And... Um, you know, it, it's just that good of a song. They play it fast, they play it slow. It's almost always played in the second set. And oftentimes it's a companion piece with Estimated Profit, which we heard a few minutes ago, uh, the coveted Estimated Eyes Jam uh, in the first part of the 80s. Uh, and, and really, you know, through a lot of the 80s, uh, very traditional second set openers would include a Scarlet Fire Estimated Eyes Run or a Help Slip Frank Estimated Eyes Run 
or a China Cat Sunflower, I Know You Writer, a China Writer, Estimated Eyes. Um, and, you know, the, the, some people got tired of it because they thought it was too predictable, but it was just always a lineup of tunes that just was wonderful to hear and especially wonderful to hear in concert. So I have to say it never bothered me in the least. Um, and then every now and then I was at uh, a show in Niagara Falls in the spring of 90, uh, spring of 84, and uh, they were they had just finished. I, God, now I'm bad. I don't have the set list up in front of me. Uh, whatever song it was that they were getting, maybe a ship of fools, and they were just getting ready to go into space or drums. And out of nowhere, Jerry just said, nope, not yet, and started playing uh, Eyes of the World. And it was the fastest I had ever heard him play. I mean, they were zipping through it. It's like he wanted to get in one more song before the drums, and this is the song he wanted. But it didn't matter that it was played so much, so fast. And it doesn't matter on another night if you hear him kind of, you know, slow it down. It's just such a beautiful song um, that it's just so much fun to hear that, you know, we, we just don't care. The band loved it, played it 382 times. It was first played on February 9th, 1973 at the Maples Pavilion at Stanford University in Palo Alto, California. Go Trees. Uh, last played on July 6, 1995 at the Riverport Amphitheater in Maryland Heights, Missouri, just outside of St. Louis. And uh, yeah, just a, a great, great tune. You'll note on the clip there, no lyrics, but I, I just, Jerry's guitar solo there was so magnificent that I just felt it was important for everybody just to get to hear him playing the guitar for a little while, um, you know, because we all know the words. And yes, it's fun to hear them sing, and especially when they're really energized and jazzed about it. Uh, but sometimes you just have to let the music play. and. And that was it. So we have reached the end of our time. Um, we're going to be on our way out here in one moment. Again, uh, happy birthday to my wife, honey. Hope you have a great birthday. Love you. Excited to uh, uh, celebrate with you. Um, to my good friend, Andy Greenberg, we will be out in uh, San Francisco when it's her birthday as well, the next day, tomorrow. And uh, look forward to celebrating with her. And Lynn, we will not be with you this year on your birthday on the 26th, the same day as my wife's. But uh, I know it is our... Uh, our tradition now to try and all get together as often as we can. So hopefully next time you and good buddy Mikey will be able to join us. Um, but in the meantime, folks, we're going to head out the door here with Dancing in the Streets, which is a cover of Martha and the Vandellas song uh, from the very early days of uh, the band, given a new arrangement that prominently features singer uh, uh, Donna Gauchow, the dead just covering the song as early as 1966. For the studio version, a funk-influenced guitar figure was added to a four-on-the-floor disco beat and polished with a commercial production contemporary to the era. To the era. Uh, this was also released by The Dead as the second song on Terrapin Station, so clearly not their tune, and they had played it for a long time, but they needed to fill Terrapin Station up, and they said, uh, you know, we can always throw this one on there. Um, it was played 131 times, uh, first on July 3rd, 1966 at the Fillmore in San Francisco. Last played on April 6, 1987 at Brendan Byrne Arena in New Jersey. Uh, the, de the Dead would play the tune in spurts 28 times in 70, 27 times in 76, 14 times in 77 and in 78. A bit of a comeback in 84 and 85, six times each year. Once in 87, and then it was gone. Uh, I saw him open the uh, 1985 three-night Greek theater run with it and uh, thought it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen the dead do by that point. Um, and so that's it, folks. Great show, great week. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, have a good week. Be safe and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. I will not be on next week. I'm taking a week off to have a little vacay, but I will be back the week after that. Uh, Dan will have a wonderful uh, rerun for you to go, one of our, one of our top ones because he's good like that. So enjoy that. 
But do have a good week. Be safe. And as always, enjoy your cannabis responsibly. Go out dancing. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.